according to the missions team. Well, if it landed itself, the missions team didn't land it. It landed itself, or did the missions team code it to land? Anyway, um, so it's landed successfully on Mars. Everybody uh, high-five somebody next to you, social distancely, and just be so excited that the the lander has landed, the, the rover has landed on Mars. Okay, yeah, there we go. There we go. So, okay, so maybe you're asking this question. Next question on the slides. What does this mean to us here at church? And what does it mean to us here at church? And that's a great question, too. That's a great question. You're at church, by the way. <laughs> Check with somebody next to you. Because, you know, uh, you're at church this morning, and so what does this have to do? Anything, here's, here's, here's why. Here's what this has everything to do with church, okay? We need to be aware because the scientific community will say, If they find evidence of water or any kind of gases or microbes or anything that's on there that they think, they will say, they will say, if they find evidence of water, the natural conclusion is that this 3.9 billion year old planet, Mars, that's what they say, contains everything that it needs to create or sustain life Therefore, the scientific proof is because the Big Bang happened, there is no God. Now, uh, yes, it's a long way, okay, but here's the reality. Here's why we in the church need to be aware of what's going on with the scientific community. Because someday the textbooks in the elementary school and the junior high and the high school and the, and the college and the college professors are all going to declare, you see, uh, the, uh, the rover called Perseverance clear back in the early 2020s uh, discovered uh, this uh, microscopic gene which will determine uh, that uh, there probably was life there. We have no way of proving it, but most likely there was life there. Proving uh, that the ingredients were there and the Big Bang, in fact, did take place. And so you don't need to go and look for a God anywhere because we can prove scientifically beyond about uh, that, that all of those things are fake. That's why we need to be aware of this. Which really does beg the question, and we would do well to look at it again. Uh, here's the question. Is there a God? Is there a God? Is there a God? We should ask that question. Is there a God? We should be asking uh, that question. And here's what I know about an intelligent group like you guys are. Uh, I'm, I'm going to review for you something that you can probably teach me more about than I even know. And uh, uh, right here at the beginning, what we want to do is we want to cover uh, the three um, uh, the three most common arguments for the existence of God. And so you guys probably already have your bulletin uh, already filled out and you have all those things already written down but bear with me as I go a little bit slow here and we work through together the three main arguments for the existence of God and like I said I apologize if if you guys can teach me more about this stuff later I'll be glad to listen to you but I'm going to do my best to stumble through this here's the first here's the first 
uh, of the most common arguments for the existence of God. It's called the cosmological argument. And you guys are already way ahead of me and you already know why it's called the cosmological argument because it's made up of two words, cosmos, right? And logos. And, and the word logos has many different meanings. And, and one of the meanings is word, but another one of the meanings of the word logos is the word reason. You know what the cosmos is, right? It's uh, the universe and the planets and how they all kind of work together. And, the, and so it's and, you know, the cosmological argument for the existence of God is simply um, there is a reason for the cosmos. And here's how that argument works. You're, you're familiar with it, I'm sure. Um, because the cosmos exists, there must be a reason for it. If anything does not exist, there is no reason for it. But because it exists, it requires a reason for it. Yeah, I know. It hurts, right? It hurts. There's I, literally, there's pain in your brain when you, when you go there, right? But the cosmological argument for the existence of God is it, because it exists, therefore it must have a creator. It must have a, a purpose. It must have a meaning. It, there's something behind it. For example, this podium here, we wouldn't conclude uh, that's there. Uh, it, it came from somewhere. Somebody created it. It didn't just pop into existence. Uh, we can think through everything in our mind possible, and we know of literally nothing that just began without it always had there's something behind it so the cosmological argument is because it exists it must have a cause it must have a cause there is a creator and that good and that good um okay so here's the next one you guys already knew that one uh the teleological argument are you familiar with the, you all are familiar with the teleological argument for the existence of god and uh, two words there again uh, logos right the meaning of the reason uh, teleo uh, means the end or the aim the end or the aim the end or the aim and so uh, the it has a purpose out there. And uh, the best, uh, that would also, the teleological argument for the existence of God, it would also be, uh, we know it as the intelligent design for, uh, argument for the existence of God. And so here I've got this tablet. And, um, and so we, we would know this. Uh, there are some of us in the room uh, that have lived long enough that we lived before there was a such thing as a tablet. Okay, um, and so we lived before there was a such thing as a tablet. So let me tell you how tablets came into existence. Um, out in California at Silicon Valley, um, there was a plastic factory, and across the street from uh, the plastic factory, there was a silicone factory. And the silicone chip factory was making silicone chips that go inside of computers. And the plastic factories, they're making plastic things. But once there was this explosion of an enormous kind, and when uh, people, after, after they were cleared, all of the rubble and the debris from this extreme explosion uh, that take place uh, at the plastic and silicone factory, when they arrive, they're at the center of this entire explosion, laid a tablet. As a result of this big explosion, the tablet came into existence. Now, that's what they might have you believe. But that really didn't happen. What really did happen, it was the, there were a lot of scientists, there were a lot of electrical engineers for years and years and years. And they started making this little thing called diodes. And, and, they, and they made, uh, remember a transistor? Some of you are old enough to remember a transistor radio. And 
and they started making things like them. And then they got smaller and smaller and smaller. And uh, they started to make them literally microscopic. And these engineers got together and they, they're the ones that actually created the tablet. The tablet did not just pop into existence as a result of a big bang. However, the scientific community would have you believe that there were germs and gases and there was maybe water and and there was a bacteria and there was a big explosion and then one way one day a single cell which is very uncomplicated appeared except for the fact that a single cell has DNA in it and DNA is a hundred times more complicated than a tablet the teleological argument for the existence of God is because what exists is so complicated, it is impossible that it just popped into existence randomly or accidentally. That's the teleological argument for the existence. And so you got the cosmological existence. Because it exists, it has to have a, a, a cause or a purpose or a meaning or, or something. There's something behind it. The teleological is because it's so complicated, it, it could not be random, uh, which takes us to uh, this. Now, remember that... Uh, uh, all human beings, you and I, <clears throat> you know, uh, we're all going to pass away. We're going to die. We're eighty percent water, and then uh, when that all goes away, we're, we're a lot of salt. Uh, you know, uh, we'll ultimately turn into dust. Right? We know that. And um, uh, but within our living structure and DNA, um, you know, there's all of these um, organisms, and there's uh, bacteria that are in there. Some are good, and some are bad, and all of those things. Right? Um, but it, when the uh, planet, the solar system, when, when, when it started with the Big Bang, the only thing that existed at the time were these uh, gases and, and things like that. Which takes us to the moral, the moral argument for the existence of God. The moral argument says this. The argument asks the question, how does one account for the fact that in human nature, regardless of what, uh, regardless of what continent, culture, tribe, language, or color, there is a kind of moral code stamped on the hearts of human beings that brings a kind of inner sense of oughtness, ought or ought not do. How does one account for the fact that in almost every single culture in the world, there is a preferred truth-telling over deceitfulness, kindness over violence, loyalty over backstabbing, love over hate, justice over injustice. Why is it that we have this moral code within us? Is matter or are gases or germs or genes or bacteria capable of creating a moral code? If all life began with the things that exist in space at a Big Bang, can those particles create a moral code? Well, if you look at the cosmological argument, one might, one might conclude 
uh, one might conclude that uh, it, it's here, so it has a, a, a sense of purpose. And uh, the, the teleological argument, it's so advanced in its complexity um, that it clearly it's had to have had a, a designer. And then the moral code, a dust doesn't have a moral code. We have one. That must have come from outside of us. There must be a creator God. So that begs this question. If there is a creator, has the creator revealed himself to us? Uh, that's why perseverance is so important. Are you with me here? Um, if, if there is a, is a God, has that God created, has that God revealed himself to us? Well, um, many of us are familiar with the fact because we're here this morning, uh, we know that Jesus Christ declared that he was, uh, the Son of God, you know, and that he was coming, he was the, uh, the communicator to us, uh, from God to us, and so therefore one might say, uh, yep, there is a God and God has communicated to us. But Jesus, he was just another dude and a whole, uh, long list of dude and dudettes that have, uh, communicated to us before that they are God. Here's a here's a truth. Here's a reality. Uh, this is in no way a slight. This I'm genuinely saying not. I'm saying this. And I'm not trying to be funny. Here's a, here's a truth, a reality. But you could go into uh, you could go into mental health clinics and institutions and hospitals all around the world, and you can go into them, and uh, after not too much looking, you will find other people alive today that believe and would communicate to you that they too are messengers of God, that they are maybe even God. They would tell you those things. Here's a, here's a list of some other people, and maybe you're, you're familiar with um, uh, Krishna Venta. Maybe you're familiar with him. He lived from 1911 to 1958, and uh, he stated that he was, in fact, Christ. He was the communicator from God to us. Uh, what's interesting is that in 1958, he died uh, because his house was bombed because the people that were following uh, him, some of the guys that were following him, discovered that he was sleeping with their wives, and so they bombed him, and they, they didn't like him. Uh, maybe you remember a guy named Jim Jones. Some of you are, some of you are old enough to remember a guy named Jim Jones. Jones, 1978, he died. Uh, he is really where we get the uh, the expression, hey man, they're drinking the Kool-Aid. Remember, that's where that expression comes from, because he was the guy that said he was the Messiah, and he got all of his followers uh, when the government was going to go down there and shut him down. He had them all drink the Kool-Aid, and they all they all died. Jim Jones, he, he said he was the true messenger of God, and God communicated to us. Yahweh ben Yahweh, literally his name means God, son of God. He lived from 1935 to uh, 2007. In 1992, he was convicted of conspiracy to commit murder. Uh, David Koresh, maybe you remember David Koresh, he said that he was the true Messiah. And maybe you remember that Janet uh, Reno and the ATF went down there and uh, he locked all of his followers into their barracks and they burned to death. And so there's clearly a lot of messengers of God, right? There's a lot, there's a lot of, if there really is a God, if you look at the cosmological, teleological, moral argument, you might conclude, yep, there is a God. Has that God tried to communicate to us? Well, he's uh, communicated maybe through a whole lot of people. And so how does one prove then who the true communicator of God is? How does one go about doing that? Well, the answer is, you cannot do that with scientific proof. 
Can't do it with scientific proof. You can't do it. But you know what you can do it with? If you're paying any attention to the screen that's in front of you, you can tell me how you might be able to do that. You might be able to do that with legal historical proof. Legal historical proof. What is legal historical proof? Oh, you guys, just tell me what it is. You guys know what it is, right? Legal historical proof. And that's like, the next picture, uh, who's George Washington, right? If I told you um, that I was actually the first president of the United States, and you guys just have forgotten, or you missed that day in history class, right? Uh, and, and then you said back to me, no, George Washington was the first uh, president of the United States. And I said to you, prove it. Well, could you prove it scientifically that he was the first president? You know what I mean? Because of scientific experience, right? You create it, and then you got to be able to recreate it, then you got to be able to recreate it, and then it becomes a law of science. No, you can't do that. But you use legal historical proof. So you have a court of law, you have jurors, and you bring them together, and you say, based on the preponderance of evidence, George Washington. And so how do you do that? Well, you can go to places that he claimed to be... Uh, You can see documents that uh, he wrote or his signature. Uh, You can uh, can maybe interview or maybe uh, you can read other historical documents that would lead to um, the conclusion. And when you looked at all of the evidence, we would say George Washington really is the first president of the United States based on uh, the preponderance of evidence, the legal historical proof, right? And so how does one go about finding out who is the true communicator of God? Well, has God communicated to us. Well, Jesus said, I am the Son of God. And where do we read about that? We read about that in the Bible, right? The Bible. And so is there any uh, historical proof that might uh, tip us towards uh, uh, the Bible is true? Well, the Bible is simply a, a collection of writings, right? Uh, over 40 authors, over a span of 1,500 years. How do you know if, if that's really true writing or not? Uh, because we all know that, you know, guys like Aristotle and Plato and, um, you know, uh, who, who did the uh, Shakespeare, right? Uh, to be or not to be. Even Bugs Bunny gave him tribute, right? We know that all of those things are factual, documented, truth, uh, historical people, right? And, uh, and so Jesus, he's marginal, um, but uh, these guys are the real deal, right? Well, let's, let's look at some of the historical, uh, the, the, the legal historical proofs as to some of the writings that took place. Uh, Plato, 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 Plato. Okay, uh, who, who was uh, Socrates? Who was Socrates? Remember Socrates? Some of you guys might have, if you took philosophy, maybe you remember learning about Socrates. And uh, Socrates, he lived um, 470 to 399 BC, just a couple of years before some of you were born. Socrates lived. And, um, and so while he was alive, he, he wrote a lot of things. He's kind of a, an author of uh, uh, many uh, philosophical uh, uh, writings and things like that. We think, we think he was. Uh, because um, the reality is, is that even though Socrates lived from 470 to 399, no archaeologist has ever found anything that he himself has written in the history of the world. Okay? No archaeologist has ever found anything that has been attributed to him writing ever in the history of the world. No one has ever found that, okay? But we all learned about Socrates, right? So where did we learn about Socrates? How, what do, we, how do we know what Socrates said? Well, Socrates has an, had an apprentice, and his name was Plato. 
Plato, right? Plato, Plato, he lived from 427 to 437, and everything that we know about Socrates, we learned from Plato. We learned it from Plato. And now, Plato, when we look at his writings, um, and uh, archaeologists have found things that they have attributed that Plato has written, and, um, but here's the thing. They've only found 250 fragmented writings that we would attribute, uh, and so it kind of goes like this. Let's say today you went and you learned, uh, you know, from a college professor about something, or you read in a book something that, that uh, historically is attributed to Plato. And then uh, archaeologists have looked and looked and looked and looked and looked, but they've only found uh, writings or things that were attributed to him, uh, archaeological things that are they're nine hundred years old. Okay, that they have discovered that they're 900 years old, that are attributed to Plato's writings. And so from the time that Plato lived until the uh, the time that those documents that they have discovered are dated, uh, there's a 1,200-year gap in between when he lived and the historical archaeological find that they have found uh, back there. And so uh, there's kind of a big gap in between when he lived and uh, the ancient writings that we have found about him. Are you tracking with me? Should I fast forward this thing? Um, and then, okay, what about, so uh, uh, Aristotle. Aristotle lived 384 to 323, and they've only discovered about 50, 50 fragmented things that archaeologists would attribute. Yep, we believe. And so, but, uh, but uh, only 56% and only 56% accuracy. So that means we can say today that we believe uh, that, uh, that uh, Aristotle said once upon a time, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. We believe that he said that. But when we look at the documents and the manuscripts that are attributed to him uh, that are 900 years old, we can only verify that he said accurately 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. And as far as 7, 8, 9, and 10 that we believe he said and we think he said, we actually, when we look at the documents, it's all a little bit fuzzy because when we discover documents attributed to him that are from archaeology, um, it's really not matching up or, or lining up. And, and so, are you, are you, are you, boy, I just can't tell. Should we just should we just hit pause and go home? I'm just a lot of blank stares out there. This is horrible. Okay, okay. let me just give it my best. To be or not to be—that is the question. Are you back with me? Uh, who, who said that? Right? Um, Shakespeare. Shakespeare. Right? Shakespeare only lived 400 years ago, so just months before some of you were born. And so, um, for, and so when Shakespeare. But listen to this: uh, the Smithsonian Magazine. You know the Smithsonian Institute, right? Uh, you guys have Googled that one before, right? And so you're familiar with Smithsonian Smithsonian Magazine in 2006. They wrote an article, and you can see uh, what they said. Smithsonian said. <clears throat> There are no original manuscripts, not so much as a copla. And I had to look that word up. Okay, it means two lines of text. So there are not even two lines of text written in Shakespeare's own hand that have proven to exist. And so when you're in school and you're studying to be a thespian and you want to be the next John Wayne, Tom Cruise, somebody more contemporary than that would be Chris Hemsworth. You, you want to be that guy. Uh, doesn't, doesn't matter what you look like. Um, 
that's a joke. See, those are really good-looking things. And um, but if you're studying to be one of those people, is it disheartening to you to know that even though you have to study his stuff, there's no archaeological proof that he wrote any of it. And so maybe some guy was actually, you know, behind the scenes writing it all, and he made up the guy Shakespeare. <gasps> Like Jesus? What about Jesus? Okay, let's. What about the Bible? What about the Bible? So these are these are people that when you sit in class, they will tell you Shakespeare existed. You know these people exist. What about the Bible? Here's some uh, information about the Bible. The Bible was written essentially between 50 and 130 A.D. Right? That's where we learn about Jesus. Archaeologists have discovered more than 5,600 manuscripts directly attributed to the original writings of just the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where we learn about the life and what Jesus had to say. And uh, they date back to, uh, to the year about 170 B.C., about 40 years after the last page. So there's only a 40-year gap in when they've actually, and they're still discovering all the time new information. And it always has, every time they find it, a, a 99.5% accuracy to say that what we are reading today is exactly what they were uh, saying about Jesus then. And then those inaccuracies... That point five is like, aha, that proves Jesus really was a shyster, right? He wasn't a good guy. And so he's not really the communicator. Those are things like punctuation or maybe a, a different spelling for the same word. scientific community is going to land a probe on Mars and then they're going to come to the conclusion, see, we've got this, don't look any further. We as a church need to look further. We need to believe because it is here proves there's a God. Because it has such design, there is a God. Because morality is stamped on the hearts of every culture that has ever existed, there is a God. And God has, in fact, communicated to us, and he has proven the uh, the integrity of the way that he has communicated to us. There is more historical evidence that Jesus Christ, there is more legal historical evidence that Jesus Christ existed and is who he said he is than there is that George Washington was the first president of the United States. So if this God has communicated to us through his son, what does he want us to do? What does he want us to do? Write these things down. Number one, admit. Some of you guys have taken this class before. You've heard these things before. We need to be able to share these things. In the same way that we need to understand the significance of a spaceship landing 300 million miles away, we need to be able to share these truths. What does Jesus want us to do? Admit that God has not been first place in your life and to ask him to forgive you of your sins. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us. Of every wrong. That's what Jesus wants us to do. 
think we can all admit when I wake up in the morning, when I wake up in the morning, there are a lot of mornings, most mornings, I don't wake up and spring out of bed and say, today, Jesus, no matter what, you are going to be first place in my life. Steve and Jesus, they have this thing going on all the time. But I need to admit it. I need to admit it. I need to have Jesus first place. I need to do this. I need to accept, write that down, accept God's free gift of salvation. You don't try to earn it. You can't earn it. You just simply accept it. If you were uh, on a cruise ship and you fell over the cruise side of the cruise ship and somebody up there, you yell at them and say, hey, throw me a life raft and they throw you a life raft, how many of you are going to accept it instead of reject it? You just grab a hold of it and say, this is all I got right now until things change. I'm accepting it. Until Jesus comes again, I'm accepting it. Ephesians chapter 2. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And then do this. You know this. Ask Jesus Christ to come into your life and to be the director and the Lord of your life. 1 John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13 says, To all who receive him, he gives the right to become children of God. All we need to do is trust Jesus and ask him to come into our life, and he will forgive us of our sins. And the last thing that we need to do is to be baptized into Christ. Be baptized. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. book of Acts says that. We can stand up in front of God and we can simply admit, God, I don't do everything the way you want me to. In fact, I am incapable of it. I don't always do what you want me to do. In fact, I deliberately, sometimes I make choices to go in the opposite direction. But I have no choice except to accept what you have extended to me through your Son. It is my desire to be lowered into a watery grave and to be covered up and have all my sins removed from me that I might stand up and be a brand new person in Jesus Christ that I might live for him because I know that Jesus is telling me the truth because he comes from the one true God of the universe. He does exist and we're going to meet him and we need to tell others about him. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, God wants to be a part of your life. If you know him, God wants you to share him with others. If you need to know more about being baptized into Christ, that's a conversation I'd like to have with you. Call me anytime. We'll sit down and talk about it. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the gift of your Son. Thank you for all of the evidence, all of the evidence, the leap of faith that you ask us to take as a simple step towards you. Father, help us to live for you in all that we do. We ask it in Jesus' name. And amen.